Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 248. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech Digital, the new online community for financial services innovators. Today's challenges are extraordinary, with the upheaval affecting all areas of finance. More than ever before, we need to come together as an industry to learn from each other and make sense of this new world. Join Lendit Fintech Digital to connect and learn all year long from your peers and from the fintech experts. Sign up today at digital.lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome back John Barlow. He is the CEO and founder of Finitive. Now, many people would know him as the CEO and founder of Eaglewood Capital, a company he sold several years ago. They were a real pioneer in the online lending space. But his, this, his new venture, or it's not that new anymore, it's a couple of two and a half years old, but his new venture is all about connecting institutional investors, of which he was one, obviously, with non-bank lenders. And so he's done this. He's the first one to really to bring a sophisticated intermediary tech-enabled platform to make it much easier for, for platforms to raise money and make it much easier for institutional investors to deploy capital. And we go into some detail about how this how all this works. And we talk about the, the impact of COVID-19 on his operations and on the, the non-bank lending sector in general. Uh, He talks about the the scale they're at and gives his thoughts on what the future might hold for the non-bank lending sector. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Thanks, Peter. It's always great to speak with you. Likewise. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been quite a few years since we we last chatted here on the podcast, and uh, so you were still at Eaglewood at that stage. So maybe you can just give the listeners a little bit of an update about what you've been doing since you left Eaglewood. Sure. So so I sold Eaglewood in the summer of 2015, and after exiting, I was an angel investor and was mostly providing early stage capital back into the fintech sector. I ended up joining eight fintech boards, and all of the companies were either lending companies or technology providers to lending companies. And a majority of the work that I did during that time centered around helping these companies build and improve their capital markets programs. I really enjoyed the time, actually. It's, it's, uh, I found it's a lot easier to tell other people you know, how to run their business than it is to actually run a business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. It had a great time doing that, but eventually I got a little bored watching the game from the sidelines, and so I started to start. I decided to start my new company, Finitive. Okay, so what was what was sort of the impetus there? I mean, apart from being bored, I mean, what were you really trying to to accomplish? Just given my background, I'm I'm very well acquainted with the pain points and challenges that institutional investors and non bank lenders alike face when closing credit facilities, institutional credit transactions. And I just saw a systematic need for yield from from the investment community and a systematic need for capital from the non-bank lending community. And yet both sides were complaining that they weren't getting enough transactions done. And and the problem in my view is is really transaction costs. Mm -hmm. It's expensive closing transactions in this sector. 
certainly in terms of money, but but even more so when you consider the time involved. It, and I think time is actually the biggest transaction cost. You know, the, the, these non-bank lenders and, and the investors who fund them have been and, and are spending hundreds or even thousands of, of man hours from start to finish closing a single transaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just don't think it should, should take that long. So I started Finitive to solve this problem. Okay, then why don't you why don't you take us through how your how your platform works exactly, and how you've been able to sort of take some of the time and costs out of you know these still complex transactions? Sure. So so our goal is is to make institutional credit transactions fast and easy, similar to what the online lenders that that you've covered for many years have done mm-hmm. for consumers and small businesses over the past decade. I think the same can happen in a B2B or an institutional context. And so we, we've built a, a marketplace, Finitive, for institutional credit facilities in the non-bank lending sector. And a platform is free for investors. All of the investors are on our platform are institutional. Uh, you have to have at least 50 million of, of assets under management to get on the, onto the platform. Most of the investors are credit funds, banks, insurance companies, and, and we've got a number of other investor types as well. And, and through the platform, these investors can access highly vetted data rooms provided by originators who are our clients. So we, we are hired by originators, not by investors. And we've got teams of people who vet and diligence each of these transactions from a what we call a buy side perspective. So we got teams of people who used to be institutional investors, uh, used to be as, as they say on the buy side, and they they build models, they build data rooms, they write investment committee memos, typically 50 to 100 pages in length, and replicate what institutional investors are doing internally. And all of that information is easily accessed and downloadable in a very rapid manner by the institutional investor community. So, so our investors save a tremendous amount of time finding opportunities and then gathering the data that they need to perform due diligence on those opportunities. And, and so we, we, we tell a lot of our non-bank lending prospective clients that by the time an investor starts talking to them, they will already be fairly well advanced through the due diligence process. And, and, it, and, it, and it, so it saves both sides a tremendous amount of time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some similarities between our platform and a crowdfunding platform in terms of how the mechanics and the technology of the platform work. But we obviously serve a completely different audience than a crowdfunding platform. Mm-hmm. institutional investors on one side and and non-bank lending and credit transactions on the other side. Right. But right. in terms of functionality, there, there are a lot of similarities. Yep. Yep. So then you you, know, you you made a name for yourself obviously in the online lending space working with the you know the likes uh, you know of Lending Club Prosper and others. Are those the types of platforms you're working with or are you have you I presume you're are you casting a broader net when it comes to originators and just the the online consumer lending platforms that you worked with before? Sure. So so I've believed for many years 
now that there is a big opportunity in what I call non-bank lending. And, and online lending is a component. It's an important component of the non-bank lending theme, but it's not the only component, nor is it even a majority. There are literally thousands of non-bank lenders around the world who need to access capital. And some of the most visible lending platforms, and, and I won't name names, but names that are in the press often, names uh, uh, that, that emanate from Silicon Valley or from Wall Street, you know, th- those are not necessarily our best clients. We, we get a lot of clients who are more off the beaten path. They have excellent credit. They have excellent, they represent excellent credit investment potential but they're not terribly visible to Wall Street or, or Silicon Valley. And, and there are literally thousands of these, and they're in places like Kansas City, Missouri, and Tampa, Florida, and Detroit, Michigan, and Toronto, Canada, et cetera. And uh, so a, a lot of our clients are you know, fairly well-established, but less visible specialty finance companies some are tech-enabled, some are not, but they're around the world, and they span a number of different asset classes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so then let's talk about these originators. I mean, it's it's not like you're you have you know a hundred competitors doing the exact same thing as you. Which I, I imagine it's a binary choice in a lot of ways. They either use you or they do it themselves. So why do the platforms? Why, why would they rather work with you? than just run the process themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Every non-bank lender has a different story, and and they come to us for different reasons. Some simply want far more capital than they currently have available to them, and and we hear this often. Uh, We hear management teams talk about how they see just an amazing number of lending opportunities that they cannot capitalize on for lack of capital. So that's one reason. Others want to lower their cost of capital. They may have a capital provider in place, but they'd like to lower their borrowing costs or or lower their interest rate. Others want more flexible terms. So we we have seen lenders, non-bank lenders, who who have a capital provider in place. It may even be a low-cost capital provider, but that capital provider may not allow them to do everything that they want to do. In many cases, this relates to loan size. So there are often restrictions around the size of loans that you can originate. Uh, We also see restrictions around credit quality and and, uh, also the the, the types of collateral that a capital provider will allow the non-bank lender to post for their credit facility. So every story is different, but whatever the need is, uh, a non-bank lender can typically benefit from tapping into a network that is far larger than than their own network, mm-hmm. and and that's what Finitive allows them to do. Currently, we have a little over 500 institutional investors formally signed up on the platform. We have several thousand, uh, actually north of 30,000 institutional investors in our CRM system. And, and several thousand that we have regular communications or dialogue with who may not necessarily be signed up on the platform yet. And so 
a non-bank lender can instantly, securely, confidentially get in front of a very large universe of investors who specialize in these types of transactions. And typically, you know, when you when you increase your exposure, the probabilities are you'll get more term sheets, more term sheets, and, and means more financing options. And I go back to that list of you want more capital, you want more flexible capital, you want cheaper capital, but but the more the more capital sources you can connect with quickly, the more likely it is that your capital uh, your capital needs will be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so is what you're doing is is it all debt? Are there any kind of you know obviously love some of these deals sometimes have equity kickers. I mean, is it is it pretty much all debt that you're doing? The majority of our transactions are all debt. We have had a couple of transactions that had debt plus warrants. We are approached frequently by non-bank lenders to help them raise equity capital. And so far, we, we, we've primarily referred those groups to some other partners that we have who mm-hmm. specialize in raising equity capital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So then, so then what's the sweet spot for these deals? Are you talking like, you know, 50 million, 100 million, 200 million? What are, what are you sort of... What what are the sizes of the deals that you're interested in? Sure, most of our transactions start at fifty million, and and it works up from there. We've had a couple of transactions in the half a billion to billion dollar range, uh, and those have been uh, fun to work on and, and exciting to see close. For smaller deals, we also have a program that we call our referral program. So we we do have some investors, generally smaller funds, smaller banks, who are interested in, in looking at smaller transactions off-platform. So we've got a number of referral partners that we send smaller deals to. If we see a good transaction, we want to be helpful however we can. And, and, and even if we don't sponsor it directly on our platform, we'll, um, it will try to make uh, a non-bank lender some sort of an introduction that could be helpful to them. Right. Okay. But in terms of deal size, we're, we're I, I think our average deal size is probably in the 100 to $150 million range. Right. Um, but we've, we've sponsored deals smaller than that. We've sponsored deals larger than that. So it's a fairly large range. Right. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we're recording this on May 12th. And so we're about two months into this economic dislocation caused by the coronavirus. And I'm curious about the impact on your business and, and deal flow specifically. I mean, have you seen in recent weeks, has there been a dramatic decrease in the amount of deals that are, that one are getting done or that are even trying to get done? Sure. We, we've actually, we've certainly seen a number of investors pull back on their activity. Uh, there's no question about that. Investors are taking longer to perform due diligence. Some investors are changing deal terms that may have been agreed to pre-COVID. So we've seen some term sheets that were agreed to pre-crisis, renegotiated with with higher interest rates. And there again, there's a pretty wide range that we're seeing, but 
generally speaking, if you look at a credit facility that was negotiated pre-COVID, if, if I had to guess a, a, an average, I'd say we see about a 40, 40 to 50% wider spread than we saw pre-COVID. So for example, if someone had a LIBOR plus 200 credit facility negotiated 10 weeks ago, that's probably a LIBOR plus 300 credit facility in today's environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I know I'm generalizing, but, but if I had to, if I had to guess or, um, you know, a number, it's, it's, it's 40 to 50% widening of spreads. Mm-hmm. So spreads have widened. Investors have slowed down, uh, but they haven't stopped. And I, and I think that's where this is, um, this is very different from the last financial crisis. We've, we've actually continued to see new term sheets post COVID presented to originators. And in fact, we haven't announced this yet, but last week we, we actually closed a, a fairly sizable deal and, and hope to announce that shortly. And this is a deal where um, the client came to us in the middle of March, they engaged us, and you know, literally within six weeks, we had a, had a multi-hundred million dollar credit facility lined up, and, um, and it just closed last week. So we are seeing activity. We're seeing our user base grow on both sides of the platform. So we've had almost no interruption in terms of uh, you know, non-bank lenders and, and on the other side, investors signing up on our site. Um, it's been fairly steady there. On the non-bank lender side, what, uh, an interesting trend we've seen in the last eight weeks is we've seen a higher percentage of large, well-capitalized non-bank lenders coming to our platform than we've ever seen in our history. And, and we were founded about two, two, two and a half years ago. But we are seeing a number of very high-quality groups coming to us, searching for capital. And, and you know, so so even even larger established companies are, are having some struggles in this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and companies that perhaps eight, ten, twelve weeks ago would have uh, would have raised capital on their own. Um, that, that, that's been a very interesting trend that we've, we've observed. Right. And then what about across asset classes? Are you seeing certain asset classes being stronger than others and investors more willing to put in to, you know, to certain asset classes than others? I mean, how, how is that changing? Sure. So that's a great question. I think pre-COVID, there, you had a number of credit funds and other uh, groups that traditionally focused on distressed credit opportunities who really had nothing to do. There, there, there was very little distress in credit for many years. Mm-hmm. And a number of those pockets of capital had to reposition themselves uh, in order to stay in business. And so a lot of those groups were funding new originations, whether that was through wholesale programs or credit facilities to online lenders or non-bank lenders, in one way or another, they were providing new capital to the sector. And, and that segment of the investor base has really repositioned back towards uh, their core, which is you know, providing funding to distressed companies, which comes at a significant premium uh, to where those companies may have borrowed uh, prior to the downturn. 
and also purchasing secondary portfolios and 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 other distressed assets. So I think distress and secondary sales are a big theme. Another theme that we're observing, this may not come as a surprise, is you know, just a, a focus on highly secured opportunities with you know a, a major focus on return of principal and, and safety of principal. So those are some of the themes we've seen. There's a big move. Uh, if, if you look at the banks on our platform, you know, the, the, the banks are really focused on well-capitalized borrowers. I think a lot of the marginal companies, and, and unfortunately, and, and I, I don't say this in any way of rejoicing, but uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I think a lot of startups are, 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 are just getting rationalized and, and you know, won't have access to credit for some time to come. So there's a big focus on the bank community on high-quality, well-capitalized borrowers. We are also seeing certain asset classes, and I'll give you one or two examples, but there are certain asset classes that have incredibly short duration, very short maturities, and those asset classes are seeing a lot more interest from, from the investment community because the, the, the legacy problem pre-COVID assets have been cleaned out of their portfolios. And, and as an example, um, we have one group that we have worked with in the buy here, pay later space. They also call it buy now, pay later. These are 30, 45, 60-day loans that are originated through online merchants to consumers. And at this point, the majority of those loan portfolios have been originated with tighter underwriting standards post-COVID, mm-hmm. higher FICO scores, better debt-to-incomes, whatever the metric that you're focused on as it relates to credit quality. Credit quality has improved dramatically. And, and so you know, we, we are seeing some transactions in asset classes where you know, an originator truly has a, a, a portfolio that is entirely underwritten post-COVID, and, and those are seeing some success. Okay, okay, that's that's good to hear. Good to hear that there's, uh, you know, there are deals getting done, and that uh, there's still there's still some bright spots. But I'm I'd like to get maybe you can. Um, I mean, clearly there's there's going to be some some a shakeout in the in the non-bank lending sector and you've got obviously a pretty good window on that sector now i mean do you do you see many of these originators just not making it um how do you feel i mean obviously you've done you've, you've done your due diligence on on many of these but how do you feel about the non-bank lending sector and the impacts that this crisis is going to have over the long term yeah, that's a great question, it, 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 and and it's unfortunate that we're having these conversations right now. And and unfortunately, I, I do think a number of non-bank lenders will will close their doors. We've seen many groups that we speak with completely shut down their originations in recent weeks. A few have started back up; others are still on hold. And you know, there, 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 there's potentially a chain reaction of defaults that may be difficult to stop at this point. And, and I caveat that again by saying I, I hope I'm wrong, but you, know, you have a number of borrowers, whether those are consumers, whether those are 
businesses, whether those are real estate owners, whether those are auto owners or students, a number of borrowers have stopped paying their debts. I don't think this has all happened so suddenly. I don't think we've had a chance yet to fully synthesize and process uh, and, and, and quantify the impact of this crisis on credit. But uh, certainly delinquencies are going to go way up. That means that a number of non-bank lenders will in turn have difficulty paying their loans to their institutional investors and, and, and thus this chain reaction unfolds and, and creates a lot of economic and, and personal and, and, and other types of damage. So I think the government has reacted as quickly and as aggressively as, as they've been able to, given the circumstances. But this chain reaction can be very difficult to stop once it's set in motion. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, I am hopeful that I'm wrong, but certainly we are preparing our business for what I would call a, an L-shaped economic recovery as mm-hmm. opposed to a V-shaped economic recovery. And so, so we, we will see a lot of consolidation in the non-bank lending sector, and there will be a transition of, of asset ownership from well-capitalized uh, groups, uh, sorry, from, from poorly capitalized groups to less well, uh, to, to well-capitalized groups. And, right. and uh, it's just been a natural part of, of the credit cycle, and it's, um, uh, it's unfolding as we speak. Yeah, yeah, it is indeed. Okay, well, well, switching gears a little bit, maybe can you give us some sense? You know, you said you've been in business two, two and a half years, but what 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 kind of scale you're at today? Can you give us some sense of, you know, maybe total total number of deals, amount of capital raised? Sure, we have raised north of two billion dollars of committed capital across our clients. We've had roughly fifteen clients. And that number is growing uh, pretty rapidly. I, I, we actually have more clients today in our pipeline than we've ever had in our history. But we've, we've raised over $2 billion across, uh, call it a dozen plus clients over the past two years. And, uh, you know, looking to expand those numbers pretty, pretty significantly over the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what about your own capital needs? I mean, to operate your company, have you have you gone out and uh, and raised money for for Finitiv? We did. So a uh, little over a year ago, we raised close to six million dollars in a seed round. So, so we actually self funded for the first year or so of our history, self funded and funded with revenue. We were revenue positive uh, from day one. But last year, we did raise a, a, a round of venture capital from Atomic Labs. Uh, I've known the founder of Atomic Labs, Jack Abraham, for many years. Uh, he was an investor in my first company. And uh, we, we, we've, um, we've really enjoyed the relationship with Atomic. And then last fall, we raised a round of venture debt from Silicon Valley Bank. And that was a, a $2 million uh, credit line. And they've been fantastic partners as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it is possible that uh, that we will go out at some point in the future and, and raise additional venture capital. But for now, that's what we've put in place. Right, right. Okay. Okay, we're running out of time, but a couple more things I really want to get to. 
And one is when you when you look at these these non bank non bank originators, and you said some of them are tech enabled, some of them are not really. I mean, what should they do to improve? You know, I mean, I'm thinking operationally. What what can they do to improve operationally that will increase their chances of obtaining funding? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing that we recommend to all of our non-bank lending clients as soon as we hire them is that they have a field exam performed. And a field exam is sometimes described as a forensic audit. And and you can get a field examiner who will come, they'll often visit your office, that's a little difficult these days, but, but, but um, they will do a perform a review of all of your processes, your procedures, your risk management, your corporate governance, your adherence to your written underwriting standards, and and the list goes on and on. And I would recommend, even if you don't have an institutional transaction that you're contemplating uh, in the near future, I'd recommend getting a field examiner into your office, you know, to inspect your operations, inspect your, your internal controls, et cetera, and advise you on what changes you can make today so that when you're ready for institutional capital, you can pass an inspection of that sort. We, we I would say 95% plus of our investors will require a field exam. And if you're not ready today to pass the field exam, you won't be able to change your operations overnight. It can take weeks, if not months, to make the changes required uh, to pass one of those inspections. And so that, that's probably the best advice I could give. Mm-hmm. Just looking to institutionalize their, uh, uh, their business. Right, right. Okay, makes sense. Okay, last question then. We, you know, for you guys, it sounds like you're not planning on major changes to your strategy uh, going forward. I mean, are you are you looking at this year? It sounds like you're looking to to still grow the business. I mean, maybe you can give us a sense of how you see you know the rest of the year playing out for Finitive. Sure. As I mentioned, we we have a very strong pipeline at the moment. We are uh, working very hard to satisfy the clients in that pipeline and, and put the capital in place that they need to continue funding their operations. Uh, we do expect to continue to grow, whether that is measured by capital commitments raised, number of clients, even our headcount. I think you know, we're looking at expanding in the second half of this year. So we, uh, I wouldn't exactly say it's business as usual. This has been a very unusual time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we continue to move forward and execute the, the the business strategy that we've had in place from day one. Right. Okay. Well. Well. Best of luck, John. It was uh, great chatting with you again, and I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks again for having me. We okay. appreciate it. You bet. See ya. You know, I agree with John there that I, I actually think 2020 is going to be remembered as 
the year where there was the culling of the herd in the non-bank lending space. There certainly are, you know, across every asset class, there are companies that are struggling and, and, and companies that, are, that continue to do okay. Certainly the well-capitalized ones, the ones that have really been able to generate profits, generate cash flow, are going to be in much better shape to weather this storm than those that really are still, you know, cash flow negative and trying to, to claw their way to profitability. I think those kinds of companies, it's going to be very difficult for them, I think, to survive uh, the next 12 months. And, uh, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see, I think, a lot of distress sales of these platforms. And there'll be some that will just go completely out of business. Uh, it's, it's, it's what we're seeing. But I think, like anything, when these things happen, the, the strong will survive. And I think the industry as a whole will be better for this in the long run. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech Digital, the new online community for financial services innovators. Today's challenges are extraordinary, with the upheaval affecting all areas of finance. More than ever before, we need to come together as an industry to learn from each other and make sense of this new world. Join Lendit Fintech Digital to connect and learn all year long from your peers and from the fintech experts. Sign up today at digital.lendit.com.